Hi, and welcome to High Res, a podcast about resilience in times of the coronavirus. Small series honed in on resilience from the perspectives of mental health, society and institutions, and the environment. And today we reach our concluding episode, where we think about looking forward. I think it'd be lovely to start off by reflecting um, a little bit on our past I was wondering if anything stood out to you guys and how are you guys dealing with this as time has gone by? I'm doing surprisingly well. And I think that's due to a couple of reasons. Uh, first, uh, I was an introverted kid uh, growing up. So I wasn't really used to seeing a lot of people and I was pretty okay with myself entertained. Um, uh, I got a little bit more social when I came here, though, uh, but it hasn't been too difficult uh, falling back into my old habits of just sort of chilling by myself and keeping myself occupied. So that's that's definitely a factor, I think. Um, I, I'm also doing okay because I'm seeing a, little, a few of my friends every once in a while, and I'm still respecting the whole social distance thing, so I'm staying two meters apart, and uh, we're meeting outdoors only and sort of going for walks in the park, etc., uh, but we are, you know, we are still seeing each other. And um, I think that's really important that we, uh, that I'm still maintaining some sort of social contact. I mean, we are human, we are social animals. And a friend of mine, uh, who's a bit overdramatic, made the comparison between social distancing and prisons. Um, and basically said that the worst, con- the worst punishment that you can get in a prison is solitary confinement, uh, which can literally drive you crazy. And I think that's something interesting to reflect on, even if it is a bit melodramatic, um, because I think it is important that we do uh, try and maintain some sort of social contact, even if it's via video call or uh, via a podcast group, for example. Haha. <laughs> um, in order to help ourselves. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, uh, I, I, I am still also seeing some of my friends. I just made like. This kind of little group of people that I am still seeing also while respecting, of, of course, the social distancing. So um, just don't want to have like too broad of a group of people around me, just two or three friends that I'm seeing sometimes. Also, I am personally really sensitive to the sun. So I am way happier the last last past week since the weather has been so nice. So I am at my parents' house right now. And they have a garden, so I'm just spending as much time outside as possible. Yeah, I'm the same as you, Samin. Personally, it also makes uh, makes me things much better, right? The weather. And this whole situation kind of makes me think a lot. There's a lot to reflect upon. And I'm also taking a lot of self-time, joining what you were saying, Greg. And I think this self-time is very important and beneficial for everyone, in a way. Because it kind of makes us understand a lot about ourselves and our relationships with others. And on another aspect, I also appreciate very much the sense of community of the situation. Like, I feel more sharing and taking care of the other that came along lately. More informality with strangers, too. More connections, in a way, that wouldn't be there if not for the virus. I feel more of a community spirit in my house, for example. Just some very simple examples, but grocery shopping together, cooking for one another, spending time together, having deeper conversations. So living together overall, but on a much deeper level, I think. And to join what you were both saying beforehand, I also began a virtual calls with my friends and it's, it's actually quite fun. I mean, I finally got even closer to my family because it seems like we all discovered that we can actually use technology 
to cover the distance. So that's pretty funny because it wouldn't happen uh, in normal normal times. Yeah, same for me as well. Like Colleen, uh, I really appreciate the sense of community as well. I'm still with my parents and uh, we're always cooking and going for walks. Um, I feel as if I've become more adapted to this whole situation and also accepted that this is the way it's going to be now for a while. So in that sense, I'm just keeping myself busy. And I've also been enjoying the sun as well these days. Yeah, I think um, I was also kind of quite, I guess, surprised by the sudden change in the beginning. And I'm also coming to terms with the fact that this is just a new routine now, however long um, it'll go on for. And it has begun to set in. I think it's really nice what you guys have been saying as well about just doing a bit more things at home. And I think maybe it might allow us to reflect a little bit on to what extent you know we used to prioritize this kind of localization before and how we might think about it in the future um you know taking care of your of, of your own of, of, of things at home or just in your local community more than always going out um and about and kind of globalization um that being said i do feel like i've i've lost a bit of free will i'm not sometimes not entirely sure what that means um for example i mean the 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 police really are on the roads a lot and i have to justify every time that i'm going out if i get stopped on the road um but that being said just a little word on portugal i do think what they've done um a lot of what they've done is quite wonderful and is worth sharing and maybe learning from if we think about you know uh, looking forward um, people here, for example, started to self-isolate before the country officially went into lockdown and the country just in general reacted really ahead of time. Um, and our numbers here of infections and deaths have been really low, just right next to Spain, which isn't doing so well. Um, and Portugal also gave all its immigrants temporary full citizenship rights um, during the crisis um, and an early release to those who were coming to the end of their prison sentences, um, which I think, you know, is something that other countries could maybe learn from. Um, on a more personal note, I am a bit anxious about the future now, just with all this uncertainty. I did leave Groningen from one day to the next without saying goodbye to anyone um, and probably won't be coming back because this was my last year. So it's a bit overwhelming because um, I feel like I didn't really have time for closure. So those things kind of come up a bit more now than before. I get you, Manon. Um, and also, yeah, I think I have to reflect a little bit on Portugal and just say, that what you said sounds incredible. I think that they've done a very, very good job um, at dealing with the uh, with the COVID-19 crisis. If I'm honest with you guys, I really don't see this world being the same after all of this. Um, I think that there's gonna be some uh, significant changes in a lot of the policies and a lot of the ways that we've that we've lived. And I think that we're going to, to realize how much we've taken for granted. Um, but having said that, I do think that we'll adjust. I mean, in the 90s, you could go all the way, you could walk with someone all the way to the gate uh, that they were departing from in an airport uh, to say goodbye to them. This is something that's just unheard of for our generation. Um, we simply didn't live in a time like that. Um, and it'll be these sort of things that, that, that we're going to experience moving forward, I think. Um, but after Corona, we will adapt. We are human. We are exceptionally resilient. We are used to doing the impossible. I mean, for hundreds of years, there's been people on this earth that have lived in literally inhospitable conditions. 
take the native the native alaskans for example we are resilient and stubborn enough so that we'll live through whatever nature throws at us so no matter what happens after this we'll find new ways to be happy and survive yeah you're definitely right i think we will that being said i am just quite emotional and nostalgic person um and i think reflecting a little bit on portugal um it's such a big part of the culture to be tactile and close to people and hug and kiss when you see them and and it's just like it's what you would what you would have as a formality you know shaking hands somewhere else is you know kisses in portugal and um we're used to going to these kind of quite small tight-knit restaurants where everyone's sitting really close to each other and we listen to live music or um, this kind of traditional fadu uh, which is a music from there and I do that there is really a part of me that hope that that doesn't change too dramatically um, afterwards um, I guess some things which I which I guess I'd like to see maybe done differently is is maybe the way that we travel so instead of being you know these kind of tourists that go one week here and two weeks there and a couple of days here and there maybe you know, it'd be cool to have almost like these longer visas in place. So where you go to a country and you feel like you actually have to stay there for a certain amount of time or that you have some sort of, I don't know, responsibility to invest a little bit of either time or energy or something in the country when you go and visit. So it becomes a bit more of a conscious way of traveling than before. I'd I'd love to see something like that happening. But um, yeah. Yeah, I'm just wondering all the time, like, for how long does this pandemic will leave an impact afterwards? Like, are festivals ever, ever like ever gonna be a thing again? Like, how are we gonna like arrange things like national national festivities? I just like I don't know for how long we should need to to continue with social distancing. Like for now, in politics, they are talking about this new one and a half meter society. Like. There's so much questions and we just don't know and we can't do anything than just wait and see what is going to happen. And that is kind of hard for me because, yeah, I, I am kind of a control freak. Yeah, I mean, I feel you. I'm a control freak. As well. um, and I'm, I'm kind of torn, if I'm honest. Part of me is kind of like, I feel, I really, really feel a sense of duty and honor in keeping distance and doing the right thing for everyone's sake, right? Not just for my own, but for everyone around me. Um, which in itself, I think, speaks volumes for human resilience. The fact that we can be, that we can see something as so morally right and feel it as something so morally right, despite the fact that it's so against our primal instincts as social creatures. Um, which I find really, really interesting and really inspiring in a way. Uh, but on the other hand, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm so tempted to just defy, right? Because there's something, there's something so, so tempting about defying your authorities and, and doing something that you just feel like doing in that moment. Um, maybe I just never got over <laughs> being an angsty teenager, but you know, I, I really just, sometimes I wake up and I just want to bike over to a friend's house, ring on their door, and uh, walk inside, you know? I, I want to face that invisible threat of COVID and not let it scare me into compliance. I want to, to act against it and to do my own thing. But, but my moral self keeps me grounded and keeps telling me, you know, suck it up, don't be reckless, it's better this way. Yeah, I really get that with social distancing. 
And I think this is one of the biggest lessons that we are learning during this time is that your actions do not only affect you, it affects the people around you, which affects the people around them. It's like this whole uh, social network. Yeah, and I think um, both of what you guys are raising, you know, to do with this society and this, you know, interconnectedness of people. Um, in a sense, you know, our, our, our sense of responsibility and maybe compassion or empathy have been tested during these times. And the fact that we're respecting these rules, and like Greg said, on a deeper level than just doing what the government tells us to do because they've told us to do it, you know, it, it really proves that we have this, this sense of, yeah, of, of empathy and of responsibility. Um, and it makes us realize that, that you know, we are, we are dependent. We're not alone in this and we can feel for others. And I think that's quite a big realization and something that we shouldn't forget because um, it's bringing these sides of us maybe that, um, yeah, they're just important to keep with us. Agreed. It's strange to me how natural it feels to care about the, the rest of us, you know, like not just family and friends, but also humanity at large and the community around me. Before coming here, I never really felt a part of a community. But speaking as an international, Groningen and Dutch society has been so kind to me and accepting that I feel I owe it to them to do the right thing here, to ensure that they are safe and secure, and also to give back wherever I can, especially in this sort of crisis time. That's so cool, Greg, because I actually read an interview about internationals sitting in the Norplansoon, and they were in like a big group of like 15 people. So the interviewer walked up to them and he just asked like, what are you guys doing? You know, what the rules are like, this was before the Dutch government um, find people who are sitting in big groups or who are coming together in big groups. And they just answered by saying like, well, I don't really care. I don't live here. I'm only here for like a semester or for like a year. I don't exactly remember what they said, but it, the, the main gist was just like, I'm not from here, so I, I don't really care. And it's so interesting to hear you say like the complete opposites. And actually, it's really nice. Like, I, I'm glad that you, you say this. Yeah, that, that really infuriates me. Um, it, it really does. Yeah, it it yeah makes me really upset as well. I mean, I'm I'm always so blown away by how welcoming societies can be, um, and how welcoming soci the society has been uh, to me. And I think people forget that they're they're guests in this country, and they really should acknowledge that and 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 consider themselves. You know, a, they they need to be you need to be polite and, and to, to have manners when you enter someone's home. And I think it's the same with the country. Uh, treat it as your own um, or more so, you know? Um, so yeah, that, that does, that does make me a little bit upset, but I suppose that's, <laughs> it's a good, good reason to get people to listen to this podcast and get a different view. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just such a shame because those articles is what the Dutch people read read and it just feeds like the stigma and prejudice that's already there on internationals and yeah as i said it's just it's such a shame because obviously it's not how all internationals are yeah. and talking about societies and about the sense of empathy and what greg was saying that how natural it is to feel to uh, how natural it feels to care about the rest of us uh, really stood out of me when we were creating these podcasts is that the virus has like this possibility to affect everyone. However, it becomes clear that 
there are more vulnerable communities and people who are less resilient when it comes to handling such situations as not all have the means and resources. So I'm wondering how their futures will look like. Yeah, and I think that this responsibility and empathy that, you know, Greg was saying we're starting to, to feel for others that we don't necessarily know. Um, I would hope that today after the crisis is over and that we don't just close our eyes to those who are at a disadvantage or more vulnerable. Um, and I'm talking about those we spoke about in our episodes um, on societies and institutions, Perla, that, that you're also referring to. Um, but I'm talking about others too. Um, for instance, I think, you know, comparing the crisis to a war and using all this warlike terminology, such as, you know, referring to healthcare workers as heroes, is perhaps missing the point and it devalues the work that, that they were doing before the crisis hit. Um, to use the word war and hero focuses on something that's short term, but if we really are to use this crisis to kind of look forward into the deep, then we need to bring value to the fact that people are doing their job like they've always been doing and, and they're trying to make us understand that. And the only difference is that now suddenly they're getting recognition for it. Um, there was a program on um, France 24 about all the invisible workers that are still working at the moment and putting themselves at risk. And these are, you know, the cleaners that sanitize the hospitals, the rubbish bin cleaners on the street, the truck drivers that are transporting supplies. And, you know, they're suddenly getting recognition for the jobs um, they do, whereas they were almost invisible to society before. And I hope that you know, a post-corona world will continue to give them the value they deserve, but have only just started to publicly be received, basically. I absolutely agree with that. Um, and I'm seeing it more and more often nowadays. Uh, there's uh, one, of the, one of the popular ones, I think, that I've seen so far being spread around the internet uh, was something along the lines of saying um, how all of a sudden, all of these people that we need in daily life, uh, your truck drivers, your... Um, the, the people that pick up the trash, the, um, your hospital workers, uh, your janitors, et cetera, how they're all suddenly receiving praise. Um, meanwhile, in, in regular life, it's your football players, your Kardashians, um, <laughs> all of these very not necessary people uh, that we sort of look up to and, and inspire to be. And um, I think, yeah, I really do hope that after this, we do... Um, give a lot more recognition towards uh, these people that are so valuable to society. Um, and reflecting on what you said a little bit earlier, uh, the, this global crisis, I'm, I'm a little, I'm honestly afraid that it's going to end up with quite a bit of xenophobia around the world. Uh, as anyone who is foreign or an outsider or can uh, maybe considered a potential threat, you know, I know what my friends are doing. I know what my community is doing and what my government's doing to curb the threat. But I don't know where you've been, what you've been doing, what policies you follow, what procedures you do. And I can really see that sort of uh, resulting in, in a huge rise in xenophobia and the closing of borders and things like that. And it does actually, it really makes my heart hurt about the kind of future that we might live in. But the fact that we have the capacity to care for others, to think about societies a world away from our own, that to me is incredible. The fact that we can hope and care for humanity as a whole is genuinely beyond me. If anything, I think that notion alone speaks volumes for the resilience of the species. It actually, it reminds me of 
the story of Pandora's box. Uh, when she opened the box, all the evil in the world was released. Disease, hunger, poverty, war, pain. They all flew out in a fury. But the last thing in that box, the last thing stayed, and it was hope. And since then, hope is the thing that mankind has always been capable of holding on to, even in the darkest of times. And that is what makes us resilient. With that, I'd like to conclude the final episode on this podcast. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Stay safe. Stay strong.